You're listening to the Sound on Sound People and Music Industry podcast with me, Sam Ingalls. And in this special episode, I'm talking to some of the people who are nominated at the 2023 MPG Awards. My next guest is nominated in the category of self-producing artist. Uh, her name is Catherine Ann Davis, and she goes under the name of The Anchoress. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Before we start, I wanted to ask you about the name The Anchoress, because an anchoress or an anchorite is a kind of hermit, essentially. And I think a lot of people who spend a lot of time in studios can relate to that choice of name. <laughs> Does it actually have anything to do with the studio life? That's exactly where it came from, to be honest. Um, when I was sort of making my first album as The Anchoress, which didn't have a name at that point, the project, I was mostly stuck in this kind of small production room in um, the now defunct Stanley House, um, Hugh Padgham's old place. And it was sort of like a kind of um, like five foot by 10 foot room. And I literally spent my life in there making this record. And, you know, I only kind of went out for food and water and there was a sort of small window as well. And I just happened to catch one night, I think it was like an episode of The One Show or something. And, you know, they have those little kind of slots where they sort of you tell you about a bit of history. And it, and it just happened to be about the anchoress and, and what these kind of anchorites used to do. And they would be holed into these rooms at the side of churches. And I thought, oh, that sounds a little bit like studio life. So it sort of was a little bit of a dark kind of humour joke. But yeah, it ended up being the name of the projects. Um, it's quite nice because it gives you a bit of separation between yourself, obviously, as well, and the music that you put out. Um, and I think I, I definitely sort of identified more with those sort of artists who have that kind of like alias or pseudonym, that like Saint Vincent or something like that, where you, it's not assumed that what you're doing is sort of, like, sort of a direct expression of yourself. Yeah, absolutely, and. The self-producing artist category at the MPG Awards is is a fairly new one, but it, the idea of a self-producing artist obviously isn't that new. It goes all the way back to people like, I don't know, Todd Rundgren, Kate Bush, Brian Wilson, Tori Amos. So do you feel like you, you belong in that kind of tradition? A little bit, although funnily a lot of my work comes from, you know, producing and mixing for other people. So it, it, it's quite interesting. That perhaps I guess I'm best known at the moment for my kind of self-produced work but actually a lot of, you know, my working week is spent, you know, doing that for other people. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, it's a great honour to be to be nominated uh, alongside Hannah Peel and, and Deb Hines, you know, two in, incredibly um, innovative artists. So, you know, I feel really lucky. I think a lot of people find producing themselves to be incredibly challenging. You know, there's a reason why we employ other people to produce our music and it's if it's either just to help us get our ideas in order or just to get some sense of perspective and discipline on things i mean how do you keep that sense of discipline when you're working on your own material i think i don't really know any anything different you know for me there was very few options for kind of trying to get into making records you know i knew that was what i wanted to do but i think as a woman at the time in the industry it wasn't sort of something that someone was going to offer me the opportunity to do. So I always had to kind of become an artist in order to make records. Um, so I don't really have sort of any other experience or, you know, what it might be like to have learned my trade not working with myself. And, and I think I'm quite good at being very self-critical as well. I don't sort of have the issue that other people do, of, you know, cringing when they're listening to themselves singing or, um, well, I do cringe, but in a good way, as in I think I can be sort of quite clinical about it and remove myself. Um, and I don't know whether that has something 
through I'm autistic as well, so I have that ability to sort of be quite detached. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I still always will hand over the Anchoress project to somebody else to mix. You know, Dave Erringer did the last album, and I worked with a different mixer on the first, um, and Chenzo Townsend did the singles. So I've always had a little bit of remove from the project where I know that ultimately it's getting another pair of ears and eyes on it. So yeah, so far, it hasn't kind of been an issue for me. So are you entirely self-taught then in engineering and production? Absolutely. Yeah, completely. Um, I don't even have any kind of music education really beyond. I did a couple of grades on the flute when I was at school, but kind of gave up by the time I was 15. And again, it just some, wasn't something that was really encouraged. Certainly wasn't something my parents, I don't think, would have suggested that I, I went to study. Um, and it's kind of ironic because I've ended up now I teach a little bit on one of the production and songwriting masters in, in London. So it's quite funny um, to see what a kind of industry has sprung up around, you know, music education. But that, you know, it just wasn't an option for someone like me from the background that I'm from. I needed to go and do something that was, you know, going to pay me a wage. So, Well, I guess there are a lot of great resources out there nowadays for people who do want to learn on their own. What were the things that you found most useful? To be honest, for me, it was mostly just kind of getting my hands hands on and just doing it. I remember that when I got Logic for the first time, and the very first thing that I made in Logic ended up getting played on Radio 1. And it was just one of those things of, how does this work? Does it sound good? <laughs> Am I getting the sound that I want? Um, and I obviously realised that not everybody else is necessarily that naturally tech inclined, but it seems to be something that, that's come quite naturally to me and just trusting my ears. Um, and, and trusting that very logical process of, of working out what pathways are and what I want something to sound like. Um, and I, I did do a little bit of, you know, learning and observing from other engineers over the years as well. I spent time at Strong Rooms. I spent time at Stanley House, as I said. I was lucky enough to sit in on quite a lot of sessions. Um, I met some very generous engineers who, who passed on their knowledge to me. So there were a lot of questions. Uh, and I still do that now with people that I work with as well. Um, I had Mario McNulty. He, he worked with David Bowie and Laurie Anderson, do a mix on a project that I did recently. And then we sort of spent, you know, two hours doing kind of an online sort of virtual Q&A session with me kind of grilling him about his workflow. So I'm always learning, always, even now. Well, I think that's one of the things that every great engineer and producer would say throughout their career is that they never stop learning. There never comes a point where you can sit back and go, ah, OK, yeah, I've got it sussed now there's always something that's going to surprise you. And absolutely, that's really, really why I enjoy the lecturing as well, because obviously the contact you're having with the students, they're always kind of bringing the music that they're listening to or working on. And again, kind of forcing you to sort of constantly upskill. You know, I'm having to use Ableton now as well as Pro Tools because that's what most of the students kind of are working on their projects in. And when you're making your own music, I mean, presumably you're, you're influenced by other music that's around you do, I mean are you do you enjoy the challenge of sort of listening to something and thinking oh I wonder how they did that and, and working it out reverse engineering it as it were yeah a little bit but it mostly tends to be sort of old records that I'm interested in which poses a little bit of a problem because now I have a sort of gear acquisition issue I don't find myself so, so much kind of listening to things when I'm actively making a new record and I know that a lot of other artists say that too. They try and avoid sort of being influenced by anything that's been released recently. But I will kind of go back and, you know, really dive into an old 
record that I'm not familiar with how it was made and, and that appeals to me. And uh, I think I'm still sort of quite in love with some of those sort of older studio techniques that are perhaps dying a death now, um, which feels a bit sad to me. Um, but yeah, that's, that's where my head's at still. I suppose one of the good things about being a self-producing artist and working on your own time in your own place is that you can take as long as you like to do something ultimately. So if you really want to spend several days just trying out different vocal mics or techniques, you can do that. Is that something you take advantage of? Are you quite sort of forensic in your approach? I mean, there is a certain freedom, I think to not having to watch the clock in terms of, you know, studio higher rates and things like that. But also I have a young child now as well. So the time that perhaps I had before to fiddle around is not there um, in the same way that it was. And that's definitely changed my workflow and maybe kind of more streamlined. But then I don't sort of equally don't have a label kind of imposing deadlines on me either. But it's, yeah, for me, it's the play and the joyfulness of you know, discovering new things. I will never make music just for the sake of it. It, it. It's doing it because it has a purpose and an interest to me. And, you know, there's a part of my curiosity that wants to see how does this work? What happens if I put this and this together? And your own music is, I guess you'd say, it's, it's broadly sort of indie, indie rock, indie pop. Is it mostly made with real musicians playing real instruments or do you use a lot of samples? No, it's almost completely... Um, live instruments. So I, I was previously on a progressive rock label, actually. I know a lot of people have kind of called what I do sort of art rock or progressive rock in that it's sort of, there's a lot of orchestral influences there. And pretty much everything is, um, you know, played in a room at some point by a human being. I have acquired a lot of vintage synthesizers in the process. And I, I just kind of still feel that there's nothing like the real thing. But obviously that has its challenges when you're working mostly alone, because when you come to emulate that live, as I'm about to do with The Art of Losing, the first time going on tour with it, you've then got to kind of, you know, you haven't got eight arms, you're not an octopus, so you've got to sort of hire quite a few set of musicians to come out with you and replicate what you've done on, on record, which is quite challenging. But so, yeah, everything, everything's live, all the drums uh, on the record, they were done remotely with Sterling Campbell, who was in New York, and his studio was kind of producing remotely before COVID even happened. So I was ahead of the curve there. Um, and we also did a remote drum session as well when, when I was on tour um, with Simple Minds at the same time doing it from the tour bus. So when COVID kind of hit, I wasn't really phased by that because this was, you know, a way of working that I was already quite comfortable with. And I was obviously supremely happy to have already had that kind of technology set up as well. So it was quite smooth sailing for me through the last couple of years. And I just sort of carried on doing what I've been doing before. So tell me about the production work that you do with other artists then, because you must be able to bring quite a distinctive perspective to that. Yeah, I mean, often people are coming to me because they want, you know, a sound akin to what I do with the Anchoress. But something I've been working on recently is with the all-female collective up in Glasgow, Henhouse, and working with a couple of their artists producing tracks for them. And, and, and obviously stylistically, that's quite varied. You know, everything from kind of folk to I think I did a um, a sort of Disney-esque song as well. And, and that's really lovely to work with other women um, who perhaps haven't always had great experiences in the studio and, and, and to do that and for them to have had the face in me as well to put that on my plate has been really great. Um, and that's going to be coming out next year at some point. And do those experiences of working with other artists feed back into your own material? 
Oh, definitely. You know, I'm, I'm like a big sponge. You know, I'm always kind of asking people what they're listening to or getting ideas from, you know, what they're kind of feeling enthused about or something that they play. I'm maybe even ask them to kind of collaborate with me as well. So yeah, everything feeds into it. It's just like one big kind of cocktail all the time. Amazing. So your album came out last year. It's attracted an enormous amount of attention, which is which is fantastic. What What's next for you? Well, at the moment, I'm kind of coming to an end of doing some other production and mixing work for, for other people. And I, I never sort of like to say too much about it because you know what it's like. These things can either take years to come out or they don't end up coming out or someone else ends up or redoing the mix and then you know you've kind of jinxed it by saying you're involved and i'm starting to make the third album for the anchor s project very slowly very tentatively and i've come to the end of a series of sort of reworkings or covers if you want to call them that that i was doing over the lockdown period as well and at some point they're all going to be collected together um and put out on vinyl so it's um feels like the right time to start something new for the anchor s wow well we really look forward to hearing that Catherine, it's been wonderful to meet you. Thank you so much for your time today and best of luck in the awards. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And be sure to check out the show notes page for this episode, where you'll find further information along with web links and details of all the other episodes. Oh, and just before you go, let me point you to the soundonsound.com forward slash podcasts website page, where you can explore what's playing on our other channels. <laughs>